Okay, recently we've been doing a lot of topics around investing, 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 uh, REITs, uh, ETFs, uh, you know, how to pick stocks and whatnot. I'm sure all you investment buffs, you know, have been very fulfilled and uh, very happy with all these uh, different content. And I thought let's switch it up a bit and go into another very big topic, which is how to save. You know, fundamentally, everybody understands the concept of saving, like, you know, getting more excess cash sitting around and blah, blah, blah. But how do we save without infringing on our quality of life? Especially during this period where a lot of people are going to, you know, essentially suffer uh, financially, you know, taking a pay cut, you know, underemployment, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's inevitable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass, but it's going to be here. And so how do we um, save some money easily? And so today we're going to talk about this. Hey guys, we have finally launched our newsletter you've been asking for. Head over to thefinancialcoconut.com to drop your email to be part of our weekly TFC newsletter. You'll receive our podcast transcript, other resources to level up your financial literacy game and some good ideas to incorporate some fun into your week. So make sure to check your various inboxes every Tuesday morning and sign up today at thefinancialcoconut.com. See ya! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we're debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances as well. And today, we're going to talk about removing these three common habits to essentially help you save up very easily. Yeah, I would think 10000 a year shouldn't be a problem if you remove these three habits. Okay, out there today, 101 saving strategies, all sorts of budget cutting strategies, cash back, you know, blah, 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 etc, etc. Everybody is telling you how to save and some people, you know, interestingly, they tell you how to save off spending, right? So the assumption is that you're going to continue to get the value of what you intend to do by buying something, but you get the cash back. So you save that money, you know, which is uh, interesting, lah, huh? Fundamentally, you still spend a certain amount of money and you spend a very serious amount of money in, in actual fact, okay? Cash back, how many percent, right? 7%, 10%, 15%. But you still spend the 85%, you know? But I'm not saying you cannot spend. I think you should spend. You should spend smart. I'm sure we did some episodes earlier. I mean, we are at like, what, 50-something episode. I'm... I'm a, I mean, like, lost track already. Like, which episode did we talk about what? But some of the early episodes about how to spend smart and how to save, you know, I, t I talk a little bit about these kind of stuff, which is not spending is not a great way of spending, right? You got to learn to spend with the central idea of, you know, getting the most satisfaction out of it. And that's the concept of, you know, frugality. Being a smart spender, you know, it's not, you know, it's not about not spending, right? And so... 
Uh, that's that. Uh, pretty interesting viewpoints. And those are big ideologies, big arcs, you know, um, good things to learn. But what are some real practical steps, right? So today we're going to share with you, I'm going to share with you uh, three habits that I, I've observed. A lot of people do these three things and I safely say if you don't do these three things, you can easily save like, what, $10,000 a year. Shouldn't be that difficult, okay? And after I tell you, you, you probably get the idea, okay? So the very first habit that I feel you can remove or all of us can consider removing is to stop rewarding ourselves for hard work. All right, recognize your work is work, okay? Like you got to do what you need to do, but you reward your success, right? That means you reward yourself for achieving that goal you set out for and not for the process of working hard. Don't be like those bankers, you know, afterwards, like, hey, today very hard day, I work very, very hard. Hey, let's go get a drink, reward ourselves. What kind of rubbish is that? That is part of your work, okay? A beer a day keeps you poor a long way. Yeah? I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. And I have a lot of friends in um, the banking field because, you know, NUS business or most of my friends are, are around this sector like finance and um, or like enterprise, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so, so the financial guys really have this habit. I mean, you just walk around Shenton Way, right? You see tons of people just like drinking and gossiping and, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of their routine after work to go and reward themselves for working. Whether or not they have succeeded on their trading desk today or whether or not they have clinched a client or whether or not they have completed a project, they just feel like they need to reward themselves because they work very, very hard. And to me, that is fundamentally very questionable. But of course, it is not about the beer, not the buffet, not the handbags, blah, blah, blah. It is about the concept of rewarding yourself for hard work, meaning that, you know, you don't recognize that hard work is but a process to achieving what you want to achieve, right? And it, it becomes sensationalized. Like, I work very, very hard. It feels like a, it's like a thing that you should reward, you know, which to me, it's, it's just inevitable part of progress, of the things you're trying to achieve. Anything that is worth building takes time, right? Every project takes time. Every, you know, creative process takes time. Anything, they all take time. They all take hard work. And I feel like the day when I decided that, okay, hard work is actually just what it is. Like, you just need to grow. You just need to do what you need to do. Like how the farmers just every day, they go and sow you know, um, the seeds, they go and fertilize their soil. Every day as an accountant, you go in, you look at the accounts. Every day as a banker, you go in, you say hi to your clients. Every day as a creative, you go in, sit down and, you know, go crazy about trying to create the next thing. And it is what it is. So I don't think you should really reward yourself for that hard work because it is part of the process. And if you reward yourself for this process, then you're on an endless point of pursuit for these rewards because every day you're doing hard work. Every time you feel like, you know, you're stretching yourself a little bit, then you need to spend more. All right? And it's a weird habit that I think people can really revisit. And it's not about not spending and it's not about not rewarding yourself because by, you know, holding yourself back on not spending, it's just going to create more problems. But it's really going deeper to question your narrative of work, your concept of work, understanding that work is just work. It is not something to be raved about, right? And I'm not saying that you cannot reward yourself, right? I think it is important to reward yourself for your achievements, for your successes, right? Like, you set out to do a certain project and you completed that project. Okay, guys, let's go, like, get a buffet or go and, you know, have some sort of splurge, right? Enjoy that thing, right? Because you've achieved it. So I think that is that is beautiful and that's fine and that is human, you know. Um, you, you look at 
the farmers in the past, right, they also, every year during the harvest, they have a huge celebration. Everybody comes together and they dance, 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 right? And then they, you know, do whatever that they need to do. Like, huh? I'm, not, I'm not saying you need to dance, dance, dance together. But the idea is they reward themselves for the success. But they recognize their hard work. Of course, you need to recognize your hard work. Hey, good job, guys. Good job. You know, um, do simple affirmation that, hey, we're all pursuing this thing and it is, it is an important process. But only reward yourself for the achievement. And if we want to bring it a little bit deeper, right, into understanding the human psyche, yeah, I think it is perfectly fine to buy yourself that tea, you know, or that scented candle, you know, to build a very nice working environment for yourself, right? I think, I think that is beautiful because when you have a nice working environment, you know, the extra earpiece, if you can afford, right? Some people, you know, the audio files, super expensive earpieces, but if you can afford and... Um, you know, it helps you in terms of raising your productivity, helps you in terms of being calm in your personal workspace. And I think that is beautiful because that is setting up your workspace to help you to work, right? And, and that is very different from rewarding yourself for work. You're not rewarding yourself for work. You're just investing in your work environment, right? So I think that is fine. I think rewarding yourself for hard work is the questionable one. And a lot of people do this. And if you think about it, every day, $20, $30, you know, for a good meal after work, $20, $30 for like a beer after work, that accounts to like, what, $12,000 a year at least, right? And why not take $100, $200, you know, and build a nicer work environment so that you feel comfortable working and you don't need to take additional, you know, kind of, yeah, stimulus, you know, to make yourself feel like, hey, I've, I've, I've survived today. And if that is where you are at, that means you are feeling like you've survived today, then fundamentally you got a question like, what are you doing, right? Uh, there are definitely some issues here. So yeah, that's point number one. I think stop rewarding yourself for hard work. Hard work, it is but a process to achieving something bigger that is just inevitable. And recognize that you have worked hard, okay? That is fair, right? We all recognize that we've worked hard, but only celebrate your successes. And if you abide by this uh, habit, rather than, you know, every day go and splurge, splurge, splurge and celebrate yourself because you worked hard, it's very easy for you to save up. Lah. Uh, let's just put it that way. And point number two, okay, very common. Uh, I don't know why this is so common, but it's very common. Is that you buy things just in case. Uh -huh. Buying just in case. Uh, just in case uh, something happens, just in case I need this. You know, so I don't know. Is it because uh, a lot of aunties, right? They, they propagate you this idea of just in case. But yes, we will talk about buying just in case afterward from our sponsor. Hey guys, so yes, I get it. Everyone wants to learn to invest and somehow believe they can be a Warren Buffett. Truth is that will probably never happen. But if we just want to become slightly better investor, making consistent 5 to 10% returns, then Dividend Machine may be something to consider. Dividend Machine is a program by the fifth person our selected course partner, which focuses on helping you pick dividend-paying stocks to grow a consistent investment income or some call passive income. On top of that, with us around, you can come back and discuss an idea with our community. So yes, for more details, check out thefinancialcoconut.com slash dividend. Everything is in the link below. Okay, so buying just in case, right? It's very synonymous with this auntie thing. Like, Ayo, just in case, la, just in case. Every time I, when I hear just in case, I just associate with the, the auntie downstairs. But anyway, okay. Buying just in case is a very interesting concept because it stems from this desire to be better prepared, 
right? To be better prepared for a situation or a unforeseen circumstance, right? Which is, um, it happens in your buying of insurance also, not just about random things from Daiso, right? You see, people go Daiso much, I'm free. Uh. It's $2, okay? Not free. Uh. But buying just in case stems a lot on the psychological level rather than just the habit objectively, you can never predict what is going to happen, right? And from time to time, there are random issues that happen, random scenarios that happen. And anything that's systemic, right? Anything that's systemic, that means it is predictable. That means we can offset some of these things. Like, um, you know that Singaporeans, very high chance will have, let's say, colon cancer, right? Because realistically, we eat a lot of oily food and statistically, it shows right, one of the uh, biggest killer, right? It's uh, colon cancer. And because you know that it's a systemic thing, it happens. Wow, I think when I was younger, I never talked about these kind of things. Uh, but when I'm older now, I look at, you know, wow, health, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but anyway, when systemically, you know that this is a thing, you can build systems to try to mitigate the possibility of it or mitigate the risk which is like you know eat healthier you know eat less fried food um, not buying more insurance okay uh, buying more insurance does not solve the fundamental problem and we'll talk about this uh, in another episode I put together another episode about you know some you know weird things I see people do when it comes to buying insurance but that'll be another day so back on this idea of buying just in case if something is systemic okay if something is systemic you can build systems to work with it, right? To mitigate its risk or to reduce its risk or reduce its possibility of happening. But if something is random, right? Then it makes it very difficult to build things around, right? To, to kind of mitigate it from happening because it's called random. Any weird shit can happen, right? And it is what it is. Like. That's, that's the idea of random error. And I think a lot of people struggle with accepting the idea of things being random. That is that you cannot fully prepare for everything. And when when people cannot handle the idea that, oh, actually, there are a lot of things that you cannot control, right? that many things are random, a lot of people fall into this idea of buying just in case. To believe that by buying a little bit more, by being a little bit more prepared, they can mitigate some of these uh, things from happening, which is, if it's systemic, yes. If it's random, impossible. So if we put the big purchases aside, right, like your house, your car, your insurance, those kind of big purchases aside, you know, those are more complex in itself. When we just look at small little purchases that we do day to day, right? You go to Watson's and you buy that extra, you know, moisturizer because it is on promo and then you give yourself this idea just in case I need law or you buy the extra sunscreen because it's on promo and it's just in case I need law. But the hell, you never ever go out to the beach, you don't use sunscreen ever, you don't use moisturizer ever then you buy for what, right? And some people, they go to the supermarket, they do the same thing, right? You walk past the supermarket, oh, hey, this is like Manuka honey is on discount just in case I, you know, not feeling well, then I want to drink some honey, then I'll buy this. But realistically, all these things you don't need, you don't use them day to day. It is just because there's a promo, just because there's some sort of discount or there's some sort of attractive urge at the moment in time you buy it thinking that you need it in the near future but you don't it, it was never part of your life it will probably never be part of your life 
And all these things, they amount, right? Little, little bit, they do amount, you know, $300 a month. If you think about it, these are what a lot of people call like rash purchases, like emotional purchases, right? You go there and suddenly you feel like, hey, I want this. Hey, I want that. You know, you buy, 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 all these extra things. Like you go to Ikea, right? Ikea is amazing at doing this thing. There's actually a research that shows why Ikea charges so cheap for their chicken wings and for their, you know, meatballs and their cone, you know, all those kind of stuff is to attract you there with the assumption that everything in Ikea is cheap. And then you walk around the whole furniture area because they force you to walk around the furniture area before you can exit. And you start buying all sorts of random shit. Lah. Like I, I buy all the like roller, you know, the the, the, the fur roller that I never ever use. But I was like, hey, very cheap. Ma. Maybe I need law just in case. That's something that a lot of people fall into and you probably shouldn't remove this habit of buying just in case. It's going to help you save a lot of money. So what I do is over time, I recognize that I do get this kind of emotional urge also. But I always ask myself, are these things what I always use? If I always use them, okay, I'll buy it without thinking. If I don't always use them, then very good chance those are emotional you know, urges and you know, I'll just take a break and come back and I'll think about it. If, if after a week, I still think about the thing, okay, I'll, I'll purchase it. And the last habit, right? I see a lot of people do this and I feel you should remove it is... I think you should stop going to holidays to de-stress. You know, work on what is actually causing the stress. I think inevitably we have to agree that, you know, going on holidays is a pricey pursuit, right? And after a while, you get bored, right? Like Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, no longer exciting. You want to go further and further and further. You want to go to Turkey. You want to go to London. You want to go to Japan. You want to go to whatever you want to go to, right? It, it, it just keeps escalating, right? And... Um, I think it's very normal because I also like to do that, right? I start with traveling around Southeast Asia, then I go further, I go further, I go further. So that's very normal. But every time I travel, I learn a lot. I experience a lot. I see the way of life, the people, you know, like how do people live their life there? You know, try to understand their culture, understand their food, understand, you know, the way they work. I'll talk to the locals. I'll spend a lot of time there really observing the cultural dynamics and the nuances that the people have. Right? If you ask me where I've been to, I can always tell you very, very interesting things that most tourists will never pick up because most people are there to quote-unquote de-stress. So don't get me wrong. I think traveling is great as a way of you know opening up your mind, opening up your worldview, seeing what is possible and experiencing you know, multi-facets to life. So I think all those are great. Right, it's, uh, it's not a bad thing. But for a lot of people that go out there to de-stress or quote-unquote de-stress, they are not actually traveling. Right? More often than not, they're just trying to fulfill this imaginary idea or this imaginary, you know, la-la land in their head. And there is a whole ecosystem built around this called resorts. Right? If you think about it, I mean, if you have been to resorts and you've been to resorts, you know that you go to the resort at Bali, you go to the resort at Phuket, you go to the resort at like Krabi, at Langkawi, or whatever resort that you go to, they all look the same. They all got this Balinese vibe, but they are not from Bali. But they all have this same similar vibe and they're all trying to fit to this idea in your head that, you know, the beach is a comfortable, beautiful place that I can go there and de-stress and, you know, chill and get out of my problems. So, so it becomes a market in itself. It becomes a, you know, quote-unquote, uh, bad habit that I think a lot of people have, which is when they travel, they're not really trying to explore. They're just trying to run away from the life that they have. And this is, a once again, an endless pursuit. You always need to run away from the life that you have if you constantly hold on to this idea. And it is a costly pursuit. It's going to cost you a lot. So my view is, 
if you feel uncomfortable with your life, if you feel very, very stressed, you know, and you feel like, hey, this is not what I want, then you want to work on little, little tweaks, you know, like, hey, okay, can I, you know, tell my boss that, you know, I don't want to take on this project or can I tell my boss that, hey, I need help or can I uh, try to reject things that are not originally on my plate or can I actually make some new friends out there or try a new uh, thing like go for yoga class or you know play board games you know like uh, I love playing board games we all love playing board games and there's a small little group of us that always play board games together so if you're listening and you're a board game fan come to a telegram group tell us your board game friend we'll, we'll show you how to play board games and yeah so you try to add little little things to your life or remove some things from your life to then find that comfortable pace kind of the comfortable balance to find that life that you love and not bottle up all this shit, right? And keep telling yourself, okay, it's okay. It's December, I'm going holiday. December, I'm going holiday. And you keep absorbing all this rubbish. At one time, you go, go on a holiday and you splurge every shit. Everything comes out. You empty that bottle, you come back and you continue to absorb that shit again. You never actually solve the fundamental root. You spend a lot of money trying to escape your problems, but you come back with the same problems and if not worse, because you come back with the dread of going back to your original way of life, which is your life. So yeah, definitely very complex problem, but really got to question the idea of going on a holiday to quote-unquote de-stress. Right? I feel if you want to de-stress, you got to first recognize what is causing the stress and build habits and systems around that stress. Remove something or add something to cope and manage with the situation. That is the way to carving a life that you can love and not, you know, spending $10,000 to go on London. And I don't know, man. Yeah, so you get the idea, right? So I'm going to sum up today and uh, these are the three habits that I observe that a lot of people do. And if you remove these three things, you can definitely save like more than $10,000 a year. Number one is to stop rewarding yourself for hard work, okay? Hard work is an inevitable part of process to achieving what you want to achieve. Uh, reward your success, recognize your work. Number two is stop buying just in case. In actuality, these days, convenience is everywhere. You can buy all sorts of things everywhere and you know, NTC's downstairs, Watson's behind and, you know, all sorts of stuff that you can deliver, you can online, offline, purchase, whatever. There's no need to buy just in case. You don't need to buy unnecessarily, you don't need to buy extra. And number three is to stop going on holiday to quote-unquote de-stress. Work on what is causing the stress because all, the, all these holidays will amount to like easily $10,000 a year, right? And I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. I hope you would share what you gain with people you love and I want to hear from you. Give me some questions and help me along with building a community of financially savvy coconuts. I hope together we can fulfill our curious minds and our desire for clarity. Join our community telegram group, reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram, sign up for our weekly newsletter, everything is in the description below. If you enjoy the podcast and if you want to keep us growing and stay independent, do ask Kofi at Kofi.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week. And always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. Test, test. Okay. Um, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, these are just some things that we've observed out there. And yeah, a lot of people do these things, right? Like, 
go on a holiday de-stress and then, you know, uh, I've even heard some of my friends saying like, yeah, just sign the credit card first lah, holiday, come back, got bonus. No worry. I'm like, dude, you better stay away from this person, man. The kind of financial advice, the kind of way of life, not even about financial advice, the kind of way of life that these people have is fundamentally very questionable because it stems from escapism, right? Rather than tweaking the life that you have and, you know, finally find something that you can love or finally find a life that you can live with. You know, you always go on this idea of de-stressing, de-stressing. So don't do that. Uh, I hope you learned something useful next week. Okay, next week, we're going to spend time with Sherry, right? And they come from this interesting company called Planner B, right? Which is trying to build an app for personal finance, right? For financial planning, right? And they have all these kind of different calculators in um, their app, and uh, it's supposed to help you to make financial planning easier, right? More objective, right? Because there is a certain, you know, algorithm behind, you know, less weight in terms of the kind of personal, you know, um, biases and whatnot, right? So I, she reached out to us and I found what she was doing very interesting. So we got her to record an episode together to talk about what are some problems in the person, in a financial planning space, you know, what are some challenges that she has faced and, you know, how can we be better you know, in terms of our financial planning. So we as buyers, I always say this, right? It's like the seller is always out to sell you. Like you cannot say they don't want to sell you because then that would be weird, right? They're sellers. But how do we as buyers, you know, of uh, financial planning products or or us buyers of financial planning as an idea, how do we become better at that, right? So she's shared with us some very interesting juices. And yeah, I, I, I look forward to sharing with you guys what I learned next week. Right, so it's going to be fun. And yeah, see ya. If you want to try out the app first, it's called Planner B. Okay, Planner, P-L-A-N-N-E-R, B-E-E, Planner B. Okay, just, I'm sure you have seen them on, on Instagram. Huh? But yes, just enjoy the app. We'll see you next week with the founder, Sherry Wong. Take care, bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 